0: We are in part 63 of our Being Jesus series. Take out your handout sheet that was given to you, and I entitled today's message, The Golden Ticket. You all know Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, right? Very spiritual. No. Jesus talks a lot about understanding the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven used synonymously. And what it means is where things are right and good, where what God wants is happening. In other words, it's in Jesus's presence. It is anywhere where he is being honored, that he is being glorified, where he is being obeyed. That is the kingdom of God. It's not just heaven out there but it's where heaven is happening here on earth because things are as God wishes them. That is what is known as the kingdom of God. We associate things with that like salvation. The only reason there is salvation is we're connected to Jesus. It's not a thing. It's a hymn. And the only reason why there's eternal life, the only reason why there's power and favor and blessings is because of who God is not God's stuff. All right. So the kingdom of God is saying, how do we get next to God? How do we operate with God? How do we see God's will done here on earth? So if it's in our hearts and we are surrendered and submitted to him, the kingdom of God is moving there in our homes. If we are submitted to him and doing it his way, then our homes are the kingdom of God. So God is pressing in and expanding out his influence in this world and crushing the enemy as he is pressing outward. Now, how do we get to be a part of that? Jesus consistently told parables about the kingdom of God is like this. And then he talks about needing an invitation. So he'll say there was a wedding banquet and everyone was invited. And then one guy didn't have the right invitation. And then there was, there was 10 virgins. Only five of them had their lamps lit, but then the guy comes through and he invites them in. And then the door is shut. And then there's a parable the talents where at the end of it, it says, well done, my good and faithful servant, I invite you to come enjoy my presence and joy. It's invite, 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 invite. What's the point? You cannot force your way into heaven. You cannot work your way into heaven. You cannot work your way into God's grace. You cannot earn it. You have to be invited because we are not worthy to get anywhere near God, but he makes us worthy, invites us and scoops us in. How do we lock onto that? How do we say yes, God? How do we allow him to do his work in us? How are we saved? How are we given eternal life? How are we rescued? How are we delivered? Whatever that is in your mind, that's what we're going to talk about. And so Jesus has a couple stories for us, but it begins with a fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. Every party needs an invitation. Every party needs an invitation. There is joy and I want to return to you today the joy of your salvation because a lot of us have forgotten how awesome it is to be a believer. Some of us are like, oh, you know what, there's spiritual warfare and there's attack and there's persecution and there's problems and that. Hey, try having all that without Jesus. Okay, understand. Because you are saved, because you know the Lord, because you are saved by him, you are now a child of God. That means your future is infinitely hopeful and bright. It means that you are now at peace with God and reconciled to God and his righteousness is your righteousness. His holiness is your holiness. It means that you no longer ever have to feel alone or abandoned because that's impossible for God's children. It means that when you cry out, he is listening to you. It means that even when bad things happen to you, he can turn them around into something good. And I want you to remember being a believer and a child of God is awesome. We want more of that. Yeah. All right. All right. So how do we get to be a part of that? How do we get to enjoy all that? A lot of us sit here saved saying, man, this is, I I can't imagine not having my Jesus. All right. Well, not all of us are saved. So this applies in some ways to that. In other ways, it's the idea of how do I continue to grow in the Lord? And you know what? There's a couple things right here that we need to learn from Jesus. And the first one begins with babies. All right, so we're going to combine Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Let's throw the first scripture up on the screen. Now, they, families, were bringing uh, children, paideia, which is anywhere from babies to preteens. they were even bringing infants, brefe, which is infants and toddlers. they were bringing them to to Jesus that he might touch them, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. When the disciples saw it, they rebuked the people. All right, real quick, why are people bringing their babies to Jesus Now, there was a standard thing in the ancient Jewish culture where on their first birthday, you wanted an elder or a rabbi to pray over and bless your baby. Is that what they were doing? Probably some of them. But remember what those hands can do? Remember, they're living in a day where they can see Jesus go over and there is a leper and he walks over and lays his hand and as his hand touches the man, the leprosy is gone. This is the same hands that can lift a little girl from the dead and say, come on, let's get up. When those hands are nearby, do you not want them to touch your children? You know what I'm saying? It's This passage is one of the reasons why we do baby dedications here. Why we love on the little ones, we lay our hands on them, we pray a prophetic blessing over them because we're saying, God, bless them, bless them, bless them. And we start praying over them. That's why we do this, because Jesus did it. And it was super important to him. So why are the disciples against it? Why are they trying to stop it? We can look at them. We're like, oh, you're baby haters. They're not baby haters. They're stopping it because they're Jesus protectors. So if we follow their timetables, we're pretty much in the last week of Jesus. He's going to die about within seven days. He's stressed out, has a lot going on. This is all very hard on him because even though he's fully God, he's fully man as well. And it's wrecking him. And they know how hard it is for all this ministry and how exhausting it is. And the disciples are like, come on, people, really? We're going to do the whole let's bless your baby thing today? Come on, that's not right. The guy's wiped out. Go, get out of here. We got important stuff to do. Well, how did Jesus feel about that? It says when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. What does that mean? That's a strong emotional word that means he was ticked off. And he called them to him and he said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven of God. Listen up. This is deep. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child isn't even getting in. Whoa, that's an invitation thing. You get an invitation out, but you ain't getting in unless you enter it like a child. What does that mean? I don't know. There's two ways to look at it. You can either, either it's the qualities of a child or the station of a child. What do I mean? Well, qualities would be like this, that we need a sense of wonder, that we're trusting, that we're obedient, that we're able to forgive, that we're dependent, that we're humble, that we're expectant, that we're anticipating, that we're open, that we're sincere. Is that what he means? Does he mean like the heart of a child that is trusting that says, yeah, dad, let's go. Is that what it means? Or does it mean the station of a child in that day and age, as much as they saw children as a beautiful treasured possession in an agricultural society, they were pretty as useful as a plant. You know what I'm saying? You're not helping in the fields. You're not doing anything. So they had a very low status. If that's the case, they were unable to do anything themselves. They had nothing of their own. They couldn't take care of themselves. They were entirely dependent of low value in society, having nothing of value or virtue in or of themselves. Is that what God means? meaning that until you realize you're not bringing any righteousness to the table and you need everything from me, we're not even starting. So which one is it both? Yes. Yeah. Until we engage with God, it says that he resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So until you get over yourself, we're not engaging with Jesus. And until you realize that it's all grace all the time, we're not getting anything because as long as you think that you're good enough to earn it, you wrecked it. So we need to be like children. Now, this is what I think is so awesome. You know, we all have different pictures of Jesus in our minds. My picture of Jesus' personality and style and what I try to role model uh, from him and copy comes from the story a lot. What it, what I, what I mean by it is that little kids will not go hang out with a grump. Know what I'm talking about? It, they're certainly not getting on their lap. Forget that. I may be nice to you and say, Hey, what's up? Cause my mom squeezed my hand and I'm like, I'll wave to you, but there's no way in the world. I want to hang out with you. I don't want to come sit on your lap. I don't want to get anywhere near you. You're creepy. All right, so little kids are good at that. Understand, little kids were crawling up and he was holding them on his lap. That indicates something specific to me about Jesus' nature. Children liked Jesus. And if children like Jesus, I like Jesus. Because you can tell when, when you're around little kids, remember, if you're looking at them and your eyes are bright and you're smiling and you're loving on them and you're playful with them, then they wanna be around you. So if Jesus wasn't like that, if he was some stoic, mean, frowny guy, that would have never happened. I don't think that's our Jesus. Notice that he is going to lay his hands upon them. He took his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on him. And then he went away. He didn't leave until every little child was blessed. He said, in my world, they're all important. How dare you say that one class of person is not important to me? Uh, You keep assessing people based on the outside. There was, do you understand that God sees us all like little kids? I know, I know you're grown up and have a lot of facial hair, but (laughs) God sees you as a child. You know, when I was in my worst space uh, last year with anxiety and I was freaking out and I was over at my counselor's office and and we're talking through some things. And one of the pictures that got me through was I had to picture my relationship with God like this. Moms, you know when you take a little baby, a newborn baby that can't roll over and that you lay a blankie out on the floor. And then you always put them in the middle of the blankie. Even though you know they can't roll over or move, you still put them in the middle. So there's like this whole big fenced off area where they can never possibly get to. That was my picture. My picture was, when you look and smile at your newborn, what are they doing to earn your joy and your favor? Nothing. They're just breathing. And I said, Lord Jesus, I got to get into the mindset that when it comes to you, I'm in the middle of my blankie that I could never possibly fall off. I'm peaceful, and I don't have to do anything to earn your attention or your love. All I do is, is breathe i don't know if that ministers to anyone but if you wrestle with any type of fear or anxiety i just need you to know that's how god sees you and he can place you there and go kid i got you you don't have to worry about this you don't have to do anything i love you already because understand that he is blessing these children before they have any faith of their own inside Do you get that? They don't even have the faculties to put together what's going on. And yet his love, favor, and blessings is flowing all over them. All the verbs say that he almost shut out the entire world and stared at that one little one and made them the very center of his universe. And he prayed that their future would be bright. That's awesome. That's our Jesus. That's how he feels about you. Second story, Matthew 13, 44. Tells two parables that are almost identical, talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, and then he covered it up, and then in his joy, he went, sold all that he had, and bought that field, obviously, to get the treasure. The other one says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all he had, and he bought it. What do these stories mean? Jesus is worth anything you could possibly pay. There's nothing that you're going to give that can ever earn the greatness of what you are receiving. In other words, when you stumble upon Jesus and he leads you in and invites you in, your eyes are open and you see that salvation is possible, you see that God is saying, you can be a child of mine. I want you. I love you. I died for you. When you see that, I want you to press in with everything you have. Why? Because it's greater than anything you're giving up. It doesn't matter what it costs. Who cares what it costs? Oh, it cost me, you know, my job. I was kind of crooked before. Now i got to like do it right and all that. I don't care. Oh, you know what? It cost me a relationship. I was totally up with this girl and blah, blah, blah. And we weren't living right and everything. And now I'm just going to be into Jesus. I can't do that anymore. I don't care because what you are going to get in Christ is of infinite value. So if God says, I know you don't like reading scripture, however, I'm in there and you need to dig me out. We need to be reading the Bible. If he said, I will meet you in the prayer closet. I know that you don't even know how to pray. It's totally boring. You feel like it doesn't do anything. I know all that, but I want to meet you there. Then you got to press in. You got to press in. You got to press in to be next to Jesus. Wherever Jesus is, you want that. And when it comes to salvation, you may have been dealing with pearls all your life, good stuff all your life, but it is nothing compared to Jesus. Get rid of all those other pearls, sell them all off, go get him because he's not just infinitely valuable, he's beautiful. You know what I'm talking about? Let's remember how awesome Jesus is. Elevate him in our minds. Let's close out with this passage, Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning. Now, this is sunrise. The Jews count from 6 a.m. down through 12 hours of daylight. He went out to hire day laborers for his grape vineyard. Now, day laborers, let me be very clear, are just above begging. They're hard workers. They're solid people. The problem is, is that their wage is only good enough to feed them that day. So you're always one day away from starvation. If you do not work that day, you do not eat. That's how it works. Um, they are free men. That's good, but there's no guarantee of anyone taking care of them. They're all on their own. So we have day laborers here in our community as well, where you have to go out and hope someone hires you. That's a, that's a lot of hoping. So in the marketplace, in the center of the town, they would all gather with their tools and they're ready to work. They want to work. They're good men, but then people have to come pick them up and take them into the vineyard. So that's what happened here. So this guy, this owner, he walks in and he hires some day laborers. Verse two, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, a drachma a day, that's what a soldier would earn. That's what a worker earns. That's a fair day's wage, but there's no margin. There's no extra It just feeds them for a day. He sent them into his vineyard and going out about the third hour, about 9 a.m., he saw some others standing idle in the marketplace. They were not lazy. They were just not hired yet. So they're waiting for employment. And to them, he said, you guys go into my vineyard too. Whatever is right, I'll give you. So they went. Going out again about noon, the sixth hour, and then again at 3 p.m. in the ninth hour, he did the same thing. At about the 11th hour, that's 5 p.m., one hour before closing time, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why are you standing here not working all day? And they said, because no one will hire us. He said, all right, you guys go too in my vineyard. Okay, there's a couple things you need to know. Number one, these are probably not the best workers. Okay? Because those guys probably got picked up first. Hey, you, big, bad, bruiser guy, you, come on. Okay, uh, you who looks good on computers, but we don't have those yet. Uh, you hang out here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying Not only are they probably not the best workers and they get hired anyway But they're desperate workers. How do we know because it's five o'clock and they're still standing there What job are you gonna get at five o'clock? And what's that gonna get you? It's one hour that's not even going to help you out. But you know dang well you're not going home to your wife. And she says, honey, why are you home early? And he said, well, there's no work. So you came home early. You didn't know our babies aren't going to eat, right? You're not going home. You will stay there all day. Sure enough, this owner comes out and he hires them and he sends them into the labor. Uh, quick question. Why is the owner coming out and hiring everybody throughout the day? Is it because he's like, oh my gosh, I have so many grapes. I had no idea. (laughs) Wow, I'm such a bad steward of my time and my money that I'm constantly going, what? We need more workers, whoa. Okay, probably not. Probably he knows full well that he has plenty of time and his workers are fine, but he knows there's guys standing there whose babies won't eat. And he's the type of guy that's not cool with that. So he keeps sweeping back going, I hope more people are getting hired out there. And then he'll sweep through and he's like, ah, there you are. Okay. They're like, what? You have more work? And he's like, uh, yeah, (laughs) sure I do. Come on. Right. And he just puts them to work and puts them to work. And then he keeps scooping, even sweeps through at 5 PM. He knows that they're no use to him, but he doesn't want their babies to starve sweeps them up as well. doesn't matter how good of a worker you are. You are mine. And if you're in my town, you belong to me. He hires them and they all go out there and they work. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And you go, oh, that's weird. That's an opposite order. Jesus must be on to something. Okay. When those hired about 5 p.m., the 11th hour, the hour before closing time, each of them... We're given a full day's wage. A denarius. That's where you go, man, yes! This is awesome! We get to eat today! My family's gonna eat and you know that they're just exuberant. Now when those who were hired first came, they thought, well, dude, if we're going 12 times the amount, man, I'm gonna be rolling in it. But they also received just a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, really? These last worked one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. What are they saying? That's not fair. "Kate," okay. He replied to him, uh, friend, I'm not doing you anything wrong. Did you not agree with me for a day's wage for a day's worth of work? So in other words, actually, I'm being very fair. Your attitude is the thing that's wrong here. Take what belongs to you and get out of here. I choose to do... I choose to give to this last worker what I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Are you begrudging my generosity? You know, in Greek that says, what is your eye evil? So the last will be first and the first will be last. All right, who are the grumbling guys? The grumbling workers that worked all day and now they're bummed out that that the newbies got same. Who are these guys? Well, I don't know. Here's your options. Could be a warning to disciples who came in first to allow those who would come in later. Could be the Jews who don't want the Gentiles coming in. It could be the Jewish leaders who don't like the Christian movement. Could be longtime Christians who don't like deathbed conversions like the thief on the cross. Could be righteous people who don't like sinners getting saved. So which one is it? Yeah, all that. You don't like the generosity of God. You don't like the fact that you've been the good boy all your life. And then all of a sudden, here comes that guy. Now he's up front in church, all into it. You're like, shut up. Dude, I was all fired up for the first 15 years, man. Look at you. I'm all into Jesus. All into, are you all into Jesus? Or are you? Yeah. Why are you so mad about his grace? What's wrong with you? What, you think that how dare he make you equal? How about you are equal? What, you think you bring something to the table? You took the salvation three-fourths of the way. Jesus finished the last quarter for you, did he? It's always grace. It's all grace. Every bit of it's grace. When you were first saved, it's grace. When you're still saved, it's grace. When you screw up, it's grace. When you screw up again, it's grace. Every time, it is grace. And I want you to know that because of his grace, you're a little baby in the center of a blanket. That you are not going to roll off. Why? Because his grace is bigger than your failure. Yeah? Because he loves you that much. And he can cover you that much. And he is so extravagant in his love. We have to tell a story about the prodigal father. Who was so extravagant in his love. He even loved a boy that wanted him dead and wanted his stuff. And we need to study a story about his extravagant grace. That you can take advantage of. Don't you dare do it, but you can. You can. Why? Because I know this as a parent. There is nothing that my child will ever do that will stop me from loving them. I don't care if they make mistakes. I don't care if they say they hate my guts. I don't care if they walk away and wish me dead. I don't care whether or not they become the antithesis of what I desire for them. I don't care how deep their depravity runs. If they are my child, they are my child. Amen. And I will love them through to the end. Amen? Amen? That is God's will concerning you, and I need you to know that. I need you to know that even despite all this pain, I mean, we're hearing about, gosh, so much hurt. I know. He didn't abandon you. He still loves you. And yes, when it is right and good, he will heal you. But he loves you. And all these people we prayed for, he loves them. He even loves the world and he's inviting them in, but there's so much arrogance that there's still so many that don't receive him. If that's you, please, please engage with Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, for, please finish the work that you began. Heal us right now. God, heal the babies, heal the children heal the teens, and heal the rest of us. God, I come against fear and anxiety and depression in Jesus' name. God, to come against pain and sickness in Jesus' name. I come against confusion in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, that you would glorify yourself right here in our midst, because you love us, because you're a good God. We give you praise in advance. We're in the middle of our miracle, and we're waiting for the rest of it. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.